0: Welcome to Crackpot Cocktail Hour. I'm your host, Lacey Ramsey. And I'm your host, Alex Brennan.
1: We are a podcast for the strange and unusual.
0: Every other Friday, we release an episode where one of your hosts teaches the other about a topic or event that we find to
1: be strange or unusual. On Monday, before the episode is released, we post our custom-themed cocktail recipe so you have time to get the ingredients and drink along with us.
0: So sit back and relax. It's time for Crackpot Cocktail Hour. Unsolved Mysteries just came back
1: and why haven't we talked about the fact that Unsolved Mysteries is back? I'm not all the way through all of them. I think the last one I watched was the French one where like he kills his whole family and then fucking disappears he doesn't
0: even have the decency to kill himself and he just like john lists it and then it's just like well i'm just
1: gonna go ahead and disappear through the hills a- it was crazy i thought that was a really like fucking interesting one i mean yeah. they've all been uh welcome oh, to crackpot be- cocktail hour this is where we spoil unsolved mysteries for yeah. you <laughs> well it's unsolved so it's yeah, not like we can give like fair. a spoiler we, so we like actually what happens can't the solve end. it
0: that's yeah <laughs> no, no spoiling possible um the uh, part two of season one will be out, I want to say, on October 16th. Oh, fuck. I just saw that yesterday. I didn't know there was going to be a part two. I thought I it was know. just going to be a short one. I am so excited that Unsolved Mysteries is back. October um, for my birthday. So, one of the thing, one of my favorite things to do is to watch like the old Unsolved Mysteries. One of the things that I like and don't like about the Unsolved Mysteries that like, you can watch like on Hulu and on Amazon is they're the updated ones. So like, it's like, this mysterious thing happened and then it's like, update! Such and
1: such, they just killed themselves. Oh, I kind of am interested in that actually, because one of my concerns with rewatching them was like, I want to know how things resolved if they actually resolved and I don't want to have to do the research, so it's for me! Oh, yeah. Also, uh, speaking about uh, pod business. Yes. um,
0: Welcome to season two. Welcome to season two of Crackpot Cocktail Hour. I was actually thinking about it on the way over because I was thinking about proposing to you this be the first episode of season two. And then I was remembering when we had our meeting and we were trying to figure out like how we were going to break up the seasons. This is around the time that we were going to start doing season two anyway. You're
1: absolutely right. Because we were like, well, let's plan on, you know, um, the best laid plans of mice and women. <laughs> <laughs> let's plan on we're gonna take like a little break in the summer and like get back to us and do what we need to do and then we're gonna come back refresh and then the fucking pandemic hit and we're like oh we're gonna be forced to take a break and reckon with our very existence yeah i just remember like
0: every time there's like a project planning thing be it our podcast, be it what you're going to do next summer or next weekend. We're like, well, you know, we don't know what's going to happen between now and then. Like anything can happen between now. and Everything has happened between now and then.
1: Yeah. Yeah. God. (laughs) It's like, it's crazy. I feel like I just had this like, um, like war flashback where like you said everything happened and like the last like five months of the year just like went through like flashes in my brain of like buying masks. Buying hand sanitizer, not being able to buy toilet paper. Oh, yeah, that's right. I brought you TP for your bunk You did. Thank you for yeah. that. <laughs> you're
0: welcome. Did it all end with Beirut just exploding? And then you're like, and oh, that brings us up till now. God. Uh, and
1: now California's on fire. And it's like, it, the years, we're in August.
0: We're not even... There are two hurricanes in the Atlantic, and that has not happened in recorded history.
1: <laughs> Let's get it all out of the way, 2020, (laughs) whatever stupid bullshit wants to happen, let's, let's, come on. I'm
0: pretty sure we're going to get to the end of December and like right before New Year we're going to and it's just going to be Gabriel's horn and then the heavens are going to open up.
1: I hope it's that and I hope it's not like we wake up and it's the alarm clock and it's Groundhog Day and we've got to start this whole year over again because oh, we it's... didn't learn anything. That's so much worse. <laughs>
0: so much worse. <laughs> oh, right in the feels. Before we get into it today, there is one thing that I did promise I would do. My friends in Las Vegas do listen to the podcast. Uh, my friend Jill reached out to me after the last episode. Uh, my friend Angela though. She is a huge supporter of the podcast and I believe during when I was talking about having had COVID I said my friend Jill and other friends sent me a care package and my friend Angela was very excited that she was included in podcast as and other friends and I was like I can give you an actual shout out on the podcast and she was like no that's not what I'm asking for. I just like that you included me even if it was you know as other friends so here it is Angela Key. You are fucking amazing. This woman deserves a raise. She is one one of the best, most honest, amazing friends I've ever had in my life. We met when we were in health class in high school. I was drawing, I shit you not, a sword with a skull atop it, like stabbed into the top of a hill because I've always been broken inside. And she turned around in her seat, saw the drawing, said, hey, that's kind of cool. My name is Angela. And then that day I didn't know anybody. And I was like, hey uh because lunch was right after class i was like do you mind if like i sit with you at lunch because i don't know anyone and she let me sit with her and we've been friends ever since that's a beautiful story i'm glad you shared that here yeah. so yeah that's angela thanks angela uh, also hi dress and hi chris and laquan and others <laughs> Lacey's aunt Lacey's mom Lacey's grandparents, on occasion, Lacey's grandparents, wow. Your family is very supportive of this podcast. They've
1: been really, like, great. I'm like, you guys, I super appreciate this. Like, I feel slightly self-conscious every now and then, because I'm like, it is just me, like, drinking and swearing. You guys are cool with that. Okay.
0: (laughs) Well, you went on vacation recently with your mom, and... Mm -hmm. In an Airbnb,
1: where we were away from other people.
0: (laughs) 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 Just just to be clear. (laughs) But, like, when she was, like, on the video, like, saying hi, I was like, I feel like I have this weird connection with your mom, because... After every episode she listens to, she always has like very specific things to say. It's not like, oh yeah, the last episode was great. Sure, I listened to that. It was like, no, I really like this part or like pass along this. And it's like, I felt like, oh, this is the person who's been like so supportive of us. And I'm finally like seeing her face and she's giving us like a direct
1: message. Oh, so I'm so glad. I really like that. Yeah, she has been like just incredibly supportive. And, um, you know, she loves your episodes, she likes mine. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Lacey's mom, this is a lazy episode, so. If you want to skip it, that's fine. I love no, you don't, too. Don't skip it! <laughs> <laughs> shall we get into it?
0: We shall! All right. Oh, uh, as this is the first episode of season two, you may notice that we have formatted things a little bit differently. We've been just taking some feedback, we're trying to figure out our process. So, yeah, we're just, we're always trying to refine the podcast. So if yeah. it sounds a little different, that's all it is.
1: And if you've got, like, notes, thoughts, ideas, feel free to, like, leave us a comment. We're on Podbean. You can email us, Hour at Gmail. Like, we're always open to whatever kind of you want to hear more of, less of, all of that. Unless you just, like, think we're the worst, in which case I'm not really sure why you're here, but... Why are you still <laughs> listening? Why are you here? But if you have specific feedback on why we're the worst, we're open to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a note here that says Lalaxy is back to together. <laughs> <laughs> the Lalex is at peace. Um, I also have a note for Misinformation Minute for our last episode, the <laughs> Black Lives Matter episode. Yeah. I misattributed the song quote, because I'm young and I'm black and my hats roll low, to Riding Dirty by Chameleon Air and Not to 99 Problems by Jay-Z. I conflated two different songs that both address racial profiling by the police, so I understand <laughs> why I did it, but I wanted to clarify that. Um, I mentioned it to Lee and he just like laughed out loud at me like I was stupid. And I was like, I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, Speaking of Lee, he also gave me the title idea for our cocktail this week, which is the Simulibation. Simulibation. So I wanted to create a cocktail with a visual element that would be an homage to The Matrix, the first movie that introduced many of us to the concept that we're going to be exploring today. The cocktail is layered with a bright green, shiny matrix layered on top of what is a drab brown layer to represent gritty reality. Uh, Additionally, I'm excited. (laughs) Well, additionally... I was excited to let everyone know that this cocktail shares two ingredients with our previous cocktail, the Jennifer Convention. That was literally months ago, so I'm sure that your sweet vermouth has spoiled by now if you didn't drink it.
0: Yeah, maybe go <laughs> get some some fresh.
1: Yes. So um, one of the things that we're also trying to work on being a little bit more deliberate with uh, the new season of Crackpot Cocktail Hour is reusing ingredients. Mm-hmm. So you're not always having to buy like a new bottle of everything for every episode. And you know, honestly, so I'm not always having to buy a new <laughs> <laughs> a new bottle of everything for every episode but i wanted to make it kind of just a little bit more what is that sustainable
0: yeah well even before i came over today to record because we're actually re-recording this because um i done fucked up on our last attempt to record because it'd been so long
1: since we recorded it's all right aaron we sometimes all done fucked up <laughs> uh
0: well i was coming over you were like i don't know if i have all the ingredients for the cocktail and i kind of don't want to like. Rebuy the ingredients. It's like I've had it. I know what it tastes like. It's delicious. As long as we have alcohol and I'll pay for the alcohol. That's all I really care about. I just want to drink and record the episode and just hang out. I
1: appreciate that about you. That's what I appreciate you. That's what you appreciate about me. <laughs> but like I also was like, oh, I mean we have alcohol. <laughs> Please don't be concerned about that. So yeah, this is uh this is the cocktail episode or cocktail uh, ingredient list. Um I'll talk you through it. I just wanted to make sure that everybody knew, like, this is kind of our thematic consideration. We're trying to do this going forward, but the fact that there's been a such a large break between these two episodes makes it a little bit of nonsense. <laughs> um okay, so also here, the name of one of our cocktails. A little bit- Oh yeah, nonsense! Yeah! yeah. <laughs> so that was our very first one. Yep. The dragon fruit. That was one, episode one. Throwback. Throwback. Alright, season two, episode one. Here's the stimulibation cocktail. One part each, Jennifer. I went with the brand Bowls. It's in like a blue bottle and it's really good. And one part sour apple apple liqueur. Half a part sweet vermouth and a squeeze of lemon juice. You shake the jennifer, the apple liqueur, and the lemon juice with ice, strain it into a martini glass, and then you slowly add sweet vermouth using a pipette if available to sink it to the bottom. So that's to create that layered look that we're going for, and I garnished it with an apple slice. The ingredients for the mocktail are very similar. You just kind of, I found substitutes for the ingredients one part each, ritual zero proof gin substitute, one part, hota and hota non alcoholic green apple liqueur, that's called J-O-T-A and J-O-T-A, and half a part of Versin Apertif non-alcoholic sweet vermouth alternative. So it's all just kind of about finding alternatives to the ingredients that we're already going to be using. And then you also have the lemon. You shake the gin substitute, the liqueur substitute, and the lemon with ice, strain that into a martini glass, and then slowly add the Versin Apertif using a pipette if available to sink it, garnished with an apple slice. So analogous idea. And that's our uh, cocktail and mocktail. All right. Well, even though we don't have that cocktail in front of us, we do have a different one with us. Today, so should we cheers? (laughs) Cheers! It's gonna be a plastic clink.
0: I always put in a fake one. I know.
1: Um, Also, as far as (laughs) my fake sound bites are
0: concerned, I actually get most of my sound bites through freesound.org. I really think I should just like give them like a big nod. You can sort by various things based on what's available to you. Like, they have things that are uh, in the public domain, so things you don't need to pay for. Then they have things where like the person's just like, yeah, you can have it for free. Just like put my name out there, like if you share it. And then there are ones that you do need to pay for. Okay. That's good. It's a wonderful resource. It's a great. Site it is giving me a lot of ideas, it's given us a lot of resources. Highly recommend
1: them. In fact, that's where I got our outro from. Oh, nice! Yeah, I appreciate the shout out for that. I always like letting people know what our resources are. Um, I don't want to talk over this in case there is an issue and we need to take it out, so I just wanted to put some like scene setting music at the beginning. Okay, copyright police say no. So anyone who's played The Sims might recognize the <laughs> create a character and build mode music from The Sims. I
0: was going to say, can we afford that soundbite?
1: <laughs> it's just a YouTube clip that we can reference called Relaxing and Calming Music from The Sims series that somebody's edited together. So oh. I'm wondering if there's a right way around it, if we give like reference and say, and it's also like less than a minute that we're using of yeah. it. So. was also
0: in the Garfunkel and Oates specials. Like, I guess they were playing like the beautiful day part where they were going over the Grand Canyon, but in the special it's just silent and it just says, we can't afford a U2
1: song. That's hilarious, you're absolutely <laughs> right. <laughs> so I was like, I didn't want to talk over it in case we got a Brit it out, but I want, thought it would be a fun, like, set the stage. Have you
0: ever played The Sims? I have. Do you have good memories? I have interesting memories.
1: <laughs> Me too. Sadistic memories. One
0: of my favorite sims what do you do when you play The Sims? You make all your friends and you put them in a house. Oh
1: yeah, and like when you're in middle school, the boys you have crushes on.
0: Yeah, so uh, my friends and I made a uh, a Sim house one time and my boyfriend, Miguel at the time, was one of the people in the house and of course there was me and there were a couple. Then there was a fire and for some reason, like when we would send Miguel to put out the fire because there was a chair on fire, he kept sitting in the goddamn chair that was on fire. <laughs> he was like, this is fine. <laughs> anyway, so we lose like half our friends and Miguel, of course, dies
1: because he was just he's sitting in the fire chair.
0: And so at one point like a day or so later we're looking for my sim and we found her in her bedroom dancing in her underwear with a lampshade on her head and when we checked her mood she was depressed. Girl, we've all been there. I was like, oh, Sim Alex. You're like real Alex.
1: So, you know how The Sims can play a version of The Sims on their computers? Yes. What if, and hear me out, what if that's like what we are, man? Yeah, we haven't got high yet. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I want to keep this coherent. <laughs> that's what we'll be exploring today. That's what we do after the episode. That's right. I want to kind of lay a psychological foundation for this because that's my background and um, one of my strengths, so I want to flash it out there whenever I can. <laughs> uh, I want to go over the DSM-5 definition of a couple of terms that are related to the idea that you feel like you're not fully real. Uh, Depersonalization is feeling detached from your personal experience, like you're an observer of your own thoughts or your own sensory experience. Sometimes it involves feeling like you're not real or you have no self. Mm. And then derealization is related to that. It's experiencing detachment from your surroundings and your environment. Like the world around you isn't real, or it isn't as it appears, or like something is off about it. It just doesn't feel right.
0: There's something artificial about it.
1: Yeah, it might even feel like there's a barrier between you and like whatever is real. Mm-hmm. It should be noted that some amount of dissociative experiences are just normal for humans. It's something built into our brain, so it's not like it's totally foreign or like a bad thing to have. Um, daydreaming is a dissociative experience. People with PTSD and, as we know, <laughs> chronic pain can have um, a little bit more dissociative experiences because the being in your own experience is so intolerable at times, either physically or emotionally, that your body and brain are like, I'm out. Yeah. So it, th- there's a protective defense mechanism with that and I don't want to pathologize something that can be a useful thing. Also some drugs like both recreational and prescription can cause dissociative experiences. So while some level of these feelings are like normal and I don't want to pathologize them, if like you notice that like you're very bothered by this idea and like can't let it go and it starts to define your existence or like me describing it as like that's how I feel all the time, it might be like a decent idea to talk to a professional about that. If it's cool with you and you're totally fine with it, great. And don't worry about it. But if it's something that you find distressing, then there's actually like ways to work through that. So I want to throw I've, that out there.
0: I've had a heavy uh, dissociative episode before. I think you and I have spoken about it before. It yeah. lasted almost six months to a year. It was bad.
1: Yeah, that is a lot. That is definitely outside the bounds of like generally normal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I mean like everyone's like had that moment where like maybe like you'll be in the middle of work or on a bus or something one day and you're like, am I really here? Is this really happening? Is this how I'm really experiencing in life? But then, it goes away like a fuse or like you get home and you're like did I drive home? Like, what was the trip like? Those are those always fuck with me when like you get in the driveway and you're like, well, I didn't crash the car. So I guess
1: I'm fine, but I don't remember the trip at all. Like that's a dissociative experience, but a lot of people have that.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Well, your brain creates shortcuts. It's how you remember things uh, quickly. It's how it grabs things because your brain only has so much power to work on. And if everything was firing at once, your brain would explode. (laughs) (laughs) So and we don't want that. Yeah, that's why like you don't read the full word. You usually, like, read, like, the first letter, the end letter, and then it's kind of, like, the shape in the middle, and that's how you figure out what it is you're reading.
1: That's what I'm in love with the shape of you means. Now <laughs> I understand it. it. Sharon. <laughs> As always, our sources will be on the episode's page on our website, crackpotcocktailhour.com, but I wanted to give a shout-out to two in particular that I just, like, rely on a whole lot throughout this episode. There's a Fox article titled, Are We Living in a Simulation? I Don't Know. Probably. <laughs> Which is a great title. Fox um, columnist Sean Iling Illing interviews Rizwan Virk, who's the author of the book The Simulation Hypothesis. So that interview is really rich, and I'll be drawing from that a lot. Another sor- major source that I'm going to reference is actually what I'm going to get into right now. It's the paper that kicked this whole discussion off in the scientific and philosophic community.
0: So when you said two sources, I thought you meant Lily and Lana Wachowski. <laughs>
1: <laughs> also them. They deserve <laughs> mad probs. Uh, I definitely watched The Matrix in preparation for this episode uh, when we first recorded it months ago (laughs) but it's a little less fresh in my mind but still like you know basically the yeah it's not like the movie changes a whole lot the genesis of simulation theory where this whole thing came from the reason that we're talking about this in addition to like you know everybody's feelings of like maybe this world isn't real and wouldn't it be cool if 2020 wasn't real The genesis of all this.
0: Well, you know, if you divide 2020 by 5, you get 404.
1: Which is an error. Error. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. In 2003, Oxford philosophy professor Nick Bostrom published a paper titled, Are You Living in a Computer Simulation? in the peer-reviewed journal Philosophical Quarterly, arguing for the possibility that we are living in a simulation. His idea is based on the posit that one of the following three assumptions must be true. And I'm going to be quoting them from his paper to be precise, and then we're going to get into kind of what each of those mean.
0: Okay, and so so one of three. So it's like if one of these is true. Yes. Yeah. So
1: one of them has to be true, he's basically saying. Mm-hmm. Either number one, the human species is very likely to go extinct before reaching a post-human stage post-biological state mm, perhaps even Bring back to another one of your episodes that's right at ai lands yes so that's the first possibility that we're likely to go extinct before we reach a post-human stage, which um, he defines more in more detail. But it's basically like advanced technology beyond like what we can conceive of now. So maybe we're likely to go extinct before we ever get there. Uh, number two, the idea that any post-human civilization is extremely unlikely to run a significant number of simulations of their history. So either we're going to go extinct before we get to that capability, mm-hmm. or like if we got to the place where we are capable, we like would be. for some reason unlikely to run such a simulation. We, we got enough. We got enough. Or if neither of those are true, if we're not likely to go extinct before we reach a post-human stage and we're not unlikely to run a significant number, it's like if we are actually likely to run a bunch of simulations, then number three is true, which means we are almost certainly living in a computer simulation.
0: So there could be a future society of humans that are trying to figure out human history and past human behaviors through a simulation, and that's the reality that we're existing in. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Well, there's a trip. Yeah, so like if we're not living in a simulation, then we have to either say that we're unlikely to run simulations if we got to that point of capability, mm-hmm. or like that we just will never be able to get to that point. Because otherwise we can't be sure that, like if we think that we will almost certainly get to that point, and then almost certainly run those simulations, we can't be sure that we're not in such a simulation. Well, Also, we're
0: already in many ways already running micro-simulations. I mean, The Sims is an example. Um, do you remember the old PC game Black and White? I do not. You played a god, essentially. and you like had your own civilizations. My favorite part of uh, black and white is that when the women gave birth, they didn't break stride. They like just uh, kept walking and just like, there's the baby. Or as Heath would like to say, they would just drop a shorty and keep walking. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag I didn't know I was pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag drop a shorty. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Hashtag next (laughs) t-shirt. We do we should go through and listen and like come up with the ideas for like, (laughs) that would be a fun project. Only the Inferno remained. Ooh, yeah, I remember remember that one that was from Pepcon yeah good Ted. no longer the largest domestic
0: explosion that's non-nuclear Beirut beat us oh shit you're right
1: yeah wow outdated Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um I, I just made a note t-shirt idea you could say Beirut blew us away is it too soon wow <laughs> wow um, <laughs> for number one to be true you know we'd be have to go extinct before we reach post-human which doesn't mean we'll go extinct soon We don't have to think that that's going to happen like anytime soon. It could mean that we're going to linger at this stage of technology just for like ever, for a long time, and just never really get past it. It could mean that we're going to cause our own extinction by the use of our technology, Mm -hmm. like creating nanobots that eat biological matter, something like
0: that. (laughs) Destroying our entire planet and environmental system?
1: Yeah. So like, it could be any reason for the extinction, any timeline for the Mm -hmm. extinction. It just means before we reach that technological capability. Or we get hit by you
0: know, another
1: meteor. Fuck, you know. There's just so in many another... ways the world could end, and I, we're I learning a way that now. Fire could face us and just fry the whole planet. There's so many things, just so many. For number two to be true, it would mean that any post-human society would be unlikely to run such simulations. That would mean there'd need to be a few individuals from few individuals from those societies who are either interested in or capable of doing those things. Oh, like, so it would mean like not many people can or want to, mm-hmm. or uh, if it's easily achievable then there would need to be some sort of collective agreement or law as to, like, why those simulations aren't, like, legal or ethical or, like, why you can't that would stop people from doing it. Mm -hmm. Or possibly post-human individuals develop along a trajectory that just causes them to lose interest in running these kinds of simulations. Because we're speculating on beings that would be beyond our current capacity. Yeah. And so maybe they wouldn't have like, any value placed on these simulations. Maybe they wouldn't be scientific value. There would be no entertainment value. Like, it's possible um, Boston posits in his paper that maybe instead of, like, video games like we play for recreation, post-humans just get their fun from directly stimulating their brain's reward center. <laughs> just, like, cut out the middleman, Just keep, like, pressing that button. It's like, I want more serotonin, more me dopamine. Give- <laughs> horn. Um So I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of, like, possibilities within the assumption, like, that maybe somebody would be they'd be unlikely to run this or mm-hmm. there wouldn't be very many people who could. I I think that's really interesting, the idea that you'd like stimulate your brain directly.
0: Yeah, I think that's gonna be the future of rec- recreational drugs is instead of like taking like some sort of inhalant or injecting yourself with something, you'll probably be plugged into something you can just like, boop, hit a button.
1: And we'll be like, do you remember the barbaric like methods where people would like try to dump chemicals into their brain indirectly
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that's the future of technology, but I also think there's something to be said for actual experience. And I think it all depends on the person. Some of the fun things. Uh, so do you remember Dollhouse? How could I forget Dollhouse? First of all, I am in love with Eliza Dushku.
1: Who isn't? Anybody in there? Brian Moyne is in love with her. She's so incredible. And like also the actress who plays, uh, what's her name? The Asian one. Oh, Sierra. Sierra. I was like, I wanted to say November, but that's not right. No, that's um, the neighbor. Yeah. Uh, Sierra. She's incredible. Every time um, I see her in something, I'm just always blown away. I know, I've seen her in a couple. And she's in um, Altered Carbon. She's in Altered Carbon? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure she's uh, the sister in season one, where towards the end of season yeah. one. Anyways. So. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah,
0: so I remember I love doll. Her, I love her. Um, <laughs> but uh, one of the things that, because essentially the idea of Dollhouse is that people, are essentially dolls, their memories have been wiped and you can load any personality into them and then people rent out what that personality is. So if you want a French hooker for the weekend, they can do that. If you need someone who's like a super spy you can do that so they are talking to the guy who like runs the whole chair and he has this really cool thing where he's talking to the head he talks about how every brain is different he says you can try cocaine and you can decide it was fun but it's not for me and you can never do it again you can give it to this doll that's on the table and she has an adverse reaction she hates it But then I can take it and my brain's like, this is the fucking shit and I need all the goddamn time. Mm -hmm. So every brain is so different. So even if you could like hit a button to stimulate that, those positive
1: emotions, it still might affect
0: people differently. Yeah. And also some people may not just want to do it that way. They may want to have a genuine experience to get that same kind of high. Yeah. I I like that. I
1: like getting into the nuance of this because I think for me, like either of these things could be possible, right? It's really possible that a post-human civilization just might not be interested it's possible that we will kill ourselves before we get beyond this point. Yeah. I think that's pr- pr- more and more possible, seeming <laughs> in 2020. 2020? 2020? <laughs> so I, I'm like, I think I'm glad that he set these things out because it's like, yeah, these are possibilities and we mm-hmm. should consider it. But we're going to spend most of our time considering the possibility that we're living in a simulation. <laughs> um, tell wanna- me more. Tell me more. So let's get into like the technological aspect of this and like where we are now and what would be required and all of that. So as of right now, we don't really have the hardware powerful enough to process a simulation like that on that level of detail. Uh, And we don't have the software to run one. So we're really kind of at a loss on both levels. But we don't have to believe that we're close to possessing such technology like on a timeline. Like it could take hundreds of thousands of years to get there. We just have to think that it's possible that Mm -hmm. we could eventually get there. Oh, I 100% believe it's possible. Um, right. And I'm like, I mean, it's kind of crazy to me to be like absolutely certain that we couldn't.
0: I mean, look how much uh, technology, just video games have evolved over the last several decades. You go from something like <laughs> right? and then uh, if you look at like some of the details on some like the new like 4K video games that are coming out like on your PlayStation. And we're in
1: VR now too.
0: Yeah. I mean, like uh, I was just playing uh, The Last of Us Part 2, which is if you really hate yourself and you want to cry, and <laughs> you you want to see characters tortured play last of us part two but just like the facial expressions the fact that the zombies are no longer on sort of like a pre-set path it's always different each oh, time it's based cool. on their interactions with the environment it's just developing so much yeah so you can definitely
1: see kind of how like even and even in our lifetime like so much has yeah, Change. remember um, when the N sixty four was like the cutting edge of technology? I do. I'm st- Mar- Mario sixty four is one of my like top three all time favorite video games. Did you
0: murder the penguin? Yeah, of course, course I just killed the fucking penguin.
1: penguin. <laughs> I mean, when you don't need him anymore.
0: <laughs> the first time I noticed that
1: the penguin didn't respawn, I was like, ew. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> So yeah, we just have to think it's possible to run such a simulation in the future. Rizwan Verk, the author of the Simulation Hypothesis book, estimates that we will reach the simulation point where we're able to create a realistic simulation, like a seamless one, within this century. He thinks, like, that's the short timeline that we're actually on. I think that's possible. Yeah, I'm kind of like... Judging by, like, technology going from massive computers to uh, everyone has one in our pocket. like
0: Yeah, and we even already talked on the aliens episode, the uh, Berkeley Worm Project. Remind me of that. So uh, Berkeley has put together the simulation of this worm that's supposed to react entirely to its environment. So it's supposed to act like a real worm would. And mm. a lot of people think that it's the first step towards true AI. Okay, oh, yeah, I do remember. Yeah. And it's that. just
1: the intelligence of a worm, but it's a place to start. Right, yeah. Yeah, and you have to start simple to build on more complexity. The assumption about future technological power is that humans will be able to convert astronomical bodies like planets and stars into powerful computers by harnessing their natural processes like fusion.
0: Oh, that's what the Brainiac race does in the Superman universe. Nice.
1: (laughs) I'm glad we've got a cultural touchstone for this They're also
0: trying to uh, learn all information in the universe. So once they learn all information of like a planet or a civilization, they destroy it so they can't create new information.
1: Oof. (laughs) That's
0: what happened to Krypton.
1: Well, we might be cruising for a Krypton birth. (laughs) (laughs) And like this idea that we'll be able to harness like the power from stars and whatnot is kind of just going off of what we understand to be true based on our current knowledge of physics. It's entirely possible that our current knowledge of physics isn't complete. (laughs) Yeah, we haven't unified all the forces yet. Right. Uh, So like we know that we don't know everything Mm. and it's possible that there's yeah just stuff outside of our understanding that we could learn about and that would change everything that we understand about energy harnessing. Nick Bostrom's paper states that if we're able to master quantum computing, then that could also push us closer to the like theoretical limits of what's possible, so that would definitely be another step in the direction. Simulating only what is being observed. This is one of the things I'm the most excited to talk about in this episode. Uh, Rizwan Verk, same author, uh, states that one of the things that would actually make more sense if we're living in a simulation is the concept of quantum indeterminance, which is usually represented by Schrodinger's cat. Um, and before giving a brief explanation, I want to say how much I hate this image and every time we have to fucking talk about (laughs) quantum mechanics we have to talk about a cat that's alive and dead and i am still grieving my cat god damn it and i don't want to have to talk about it but it is absolutely necessary so how you doing i'm mad i'm sad and i'm curious so everything kind of hinges on the cat metaphor Alex, can you tell us about Schrodinger's cat?
0: Okay, so the concept of Schrodinger's cat is if you were to put a cat in a box with a vial of poison, at some point in time, that bottle of poison can break open. It could be the second you close the box, it could be in five hours, it could be in a month. But until you open the box in that indeterminate period of time where the cat could not have starved to death, you can conceptually say that the cat is both alive and dead because you cannot visually confirm whether or not the poison has opened up to kill the cat. Perfect. So, um, I think I talked to you about this last time and I'm probably quoting who the, ro- the wrong scientist, but I think it's called Kepler's teapot, it's probably not called that. You fool, it's Russell's teapot. But that sounds familiar to me. The idea is, it's a philosophical brain thought very similar to Schrodinger's cat, that it was proposed, there's a teapot floating in the asteroid belt. It's nice little ceramic fancy teapot but it is so small that we can't observe it beyond all the cosmic radiation and the size of everything going on in the asteroid belt, but it's there. Because we can't observe it and because the properties surrounding it prevent us from being able to confirm or deny its existence, it both exists and does not exist.
1: I like that. I think that is actually a more facilitative metaphor than the cat. And one thing I wanna share with you and with our listeners is I learned during this process that the Schrodinger's cat image was actually created to illustrate how absurd quantum mechanics seems when we put it on a physical level. And so it's actually very similar to the pulling yourself up by your bootstraps metaphor Mm. in that it was originally intended to be like, well, this is ridiculous. No one can do that. On this scale, it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. But it's become this like, well, pull yourself up by your bootstraps because you should. And like, well, this metaphor like obviously makes sense, but it's funny because it was designed to be like, "Mm, this is why it doesn't make sense. But I think the teapot actually has a little bit more merit in this situation. And also we don't have to talk about dead cats
0: (laughs) it's also the same concept behind the flying spaghetti monster
1: yes i love flying spaghetti monster his noodly appendages you
0: know that they have a church now yeah i do
1: (laughs) anyway i miss you chrissy let's move on Uh, the way that this relates to what I'm talking about with the simulation is, and I'm going to quote Rizwan Verk as I usually do, uh, quote, the cardinal rule is the universe renders only that which needs to be observed. So like you won't know whether the cat's alive or dead. You won't know whether the teapot's there or not until you are actually able to directly observe whether it is or isn't. Do we need to talk about how video games work now? Oh, we're we're going to very soon. Okay.
0: <laughs> Let me know
1: when. <laughs> so I'm gonna go on a little bit with this simulation uh, that simulating that which is being directly observed, and then it's like two paragraphs, and we're going video games. <laughs> uh, here's a quote from Nick Bostrom, the title, uh, the author of the original paper. Quote: Simulating the entire universe down to the quantum level is obviously infeasible unless radically new physics is discovered. But in order to get a realistic simulation of human experience, much less is needed. Only whatever is required to ensure that the simulated humans, interacting in normal human ways with their simulated environment, don't notice any irregularities. Distant astronomical objects can have highly compressed representations. Microscopic phenomena could likely be filled in ad hoc. What you see through an electron microscope needs to look unsuspicious, but you usually have no way of confirming its coherence. With the unobserved parts of the microscopic world. And I have a clip here.
0: Don't be suspicious. 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 Don't be suspicious.
1: do So, um, you'll remember that the Matrix movie explains suspicious irregularities as glitches in the Matrix. Deja vu. Born out of something in the program being changed or updated. Mm -hmm. Tying this quantum physics concept of only rendering that which is being directly observed to video games, Rizwan Verk states that in the 1980s, it wouldn't have been possible to create a game like World of Warcraft. We've optimized techniques for computer games since then. And the core of those optimization techniques, starting with the game Doom, is to render only that which is observable from the camera's vantage point, not the entire world. So
0: would you like to explain this or should I? You go for it. Okay, so whenever you play a video game, so the idea is that your character, your avatar that you see on the screen, they're actually stationary. The entire environment is actually revolving around that character and things that you experience don't actually render until you get to it. Now, there are very clever ways to do this, like with framing, having paint objects in the distance that are actually uh, getting closer and then have that object not actually manifest until you get to it. You may see this in a video game where you may see a rock look kind of blurry and then suddenly you get just close enough and there's like a little bit of a, like a second where like all the details come in. Mm-hmm. Additionally to this, in a video game, if you're in one room, the next room does not exist until you open the door. This is to save on memory, this is to do shortcuts, and that way they don't need to render and you up all the data on creating the entire house you only need to create the room you're in and then the next room that you're going to be in
1: it strikes me that this concept combined with our understanding of the limited nature of human perception (laughs) makes it seem pretty compelling yeah and like what if something such as ghosts were just old avatars Mm, i love that idea like just haven't been like fully deleted or rewritten and so we're seeing, like, vestiges of those avatars moving through their former track.
0: And I'm glad that you put it that way, too, because in computers, nothing is actually deleted. That data does not get deleted. It gets reclassified to be rewritten. So if you start off with a gig on your hard drive, you will always have a gig on your hard drive. If you delete things from your computer, you're actually rewriting over different parts of that whole gig that you had there previously.
1: It sounds a lot like conservation of mass.
0: Yeah. And so here's one of the cool things too. So you might hear like unforensic files or something. They went into the computer and they tried to delete these files, but they found it. That's because you can go deep down into the code of that computer to all the changes that were made. And you can go to that data that was set to be rewritten and you can still grab pieces of that data and if you really know what you're doing and you know how to read the code you can almost completely recreate it uh oh I've got a computer to burn because it's got
1: all my old MySpace documents on it
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah you would actually have to literally destroy like grind up that shit the hardware yeah like you'd have to destroy the hardware itself to actually get rid of something
1: but I love this idea like that applying the notion that video games and like rendering only that which is seen is actually our experience experience because yeah. we know from our very first episode how limited human perception is and how our brain like tricks us into filling in the gaps. We've got a blind spot in each of our eyes and mm-hmm. our brain is just like continually filling that gap in. we don't see when our eyes move, which is always, but our brain goes back and rewrites and fills in the gap from what we would have missed while our eyes were moving. Yep. So,
0: <laughs> so many holes in our perception. We even talked about this dark matter. I mean, everyone talks about how dark matter is most the universe, but that's probably just part of the universe that we can't
1: observe because we've never needed to observe it. Right. What facility? Like, we have no use for it at this point, so.
0: Yeah. Like, you and I can't see UV light or an infrared, but certain insects can. Yeah. Because it helps them survive. Who? Shortcuts. Shortcuts in the brain. <laughs> well, we do the same thing with software, too. Yeah. And so
1: it's also, like, a kind of, if we are the simulation, then it's like, we're simulating the simulation. You know what I yeah. mean? Like they programmed us this way and then we're like going to create the software according to the rules that are extant in our brains because we're programmed to understand those rules. If you notice, if you do
0: something one time, it's really easy to do it the second
1: time in the same program because that pathway's already been made. Which is like so exactly how our brains work, right? Like yes. We we uh, I think of it in terms of psychology very much. Like you carve out a certain tendency. So like if something goes wrong, I think like oh, my life is stupid and I'm unlucky. And so if you have that thought enough amounts of times, then like you've carved out this neural pathway in your brain, basically the shortcut to where when something bads, you're like it's because I'm unlucky. And if you have questioned that and try to reprogram it, you have to like go through and replace it with a different thought or different behavior mm-hmm. or try to get your brain to get off that track that you've worn into it basically to be like oh, sometimes I make bad choices or occasionally bad shit happens to good people and it has nothing to do with luck but it's work to try to hack a new pathway into your brain because it's already gotten that shortcut and we mm-hmm. want to be we want to function as efficiently as possible
0: yeah and even on uh, expanding on that a little bit like every time you have a new experience it always seems to take longer the first time you go on a road trip to a new place it feels like it takes longer than the second time because the second time you've done the trip before mm. so you're already creating the shortcuts of like oh well, this is going to be the, like the next place I'm going to see. And then I want to see this. I want to see that. I that, know what to expect. Exactly. It doesn't take as long because you've already built that shortcut.
1: Which, like, if you want to get into it, right? Like, me knowing what to expect could be feedback for the simulators. Like, where I'm expecting a thing, and so they're filling it in because I'm giving them the data. They're not giving it to me. I like that thought. <laughs> <laughs> Lee likes to talk about gaming the simulation Lee will be like because I, I, I'll i mention like if you notice that you haven't gotten a headache in a while then mm-hmm. you'll get a fucking headache like pretty quickly after like I usually know I'll be like I haven't had a headache in a while and like give me a day and I'll get another headache <laughs> and he's like you're giving them ideas <laughs> Like they, they're like oh shit she hasn't had a headache in a while we gotta get this back on track and give, make it more regular and so Lee was like, you gotta say shit like, man, I'm just tired of all, like, this opportunities coming towards me and I just, all I could do with less of this money. And he said that to me to, like, give me an example and to, like, criticize my negative thinking. And I shit you not, he got, like, a new pay structure where he, it's basically, it's not a raise, but it's basically a raise and he had, like, an <laughs> existential crisis about it. And I was like, Lee, you tempted the universe. You did the thing gave it to you and it did make you upset <laughs> <laughs> he was like god damn it <laughs> But it was fun to point that out. (laughs) But I like the idea of like kind of gaming it and being like, what do I, what am I going to like put into the world, which is very, um, the secret and, Mm -hmm. you know, power of positive thinking and whatnot, which I have problems with obviously, but in the context of this discussion, I think it's interesting.
0: So do you want to hear another one of my
1: woo-woo stories? Always. I have so many weird woo-woo stories. I love it. We watched the Monster Mash episode the other day, by the way. (laughs) I did the mash. It's like a Valentine's episode. Yeah.
0: Uh, when I was in, I want to say the third grade, we used to get out of class at three o'clock and one day around like two o'clock or something my friend and i were in the cafeteria and i don't remember why we were in the cafeteria because normally we'd be in class at that time and while we were in the cafeteria we came across this uh woman mrs triplet and mrs triplet's younger daughter was in the same class as my brother and her uh older son like was a few grades above me and i saw her and they were a wonderful family and i just said i was gonna fuck with her a little bit because that's who i am a child but playfully fuck with sure so i said something like so i can't wait to go to your house after school today and she's like what are you talking about and i was like didn't my mom call you we're going to your house when we get out of school today we're gonna hang out at your house because she's unable to pick us up and she's just like "Uh uh-huh alex sure whatever because i she knew i was fucking with her well we go back to class three o'clock comes around and I go out to the social hall, which is where all the parents picked up the kids. And Mrs. Triplett's waiting there with a weird look on her face. And she says, Alex, you and your brother are actually coming to my house after school. And my mom had an ocular migraine that day, so she couldn't see. So we had to go to their house for a few hours for my mom to pick us up.
1: You gave the simulators ideas. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, that actually, let's write that in. Yeah, that's a good plot. Yeah,
0: and I was just like, this isn't like me like psychically being like, oh, well, we have to go with it because we'd never
1: been to their house before. It was before. like a joke. But you manifested it. Yeah. Well, and like, I even think it might be more direct than that, right? Like, I think there's something even primitive to the way I'm like, you're giving the simulators ideas because probably the simulators like set more automatic code to happen so that like you're generating a thing and then it automatically is implemented as mm-hmm. opposed to like someone consciously intervening. Yeah. If we're to carry forth this metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That is crazy, though. Yeah, that's one of my favorite woo-woo stories. That's Yeah, you have a lot of, like, um, cool, like, what could be written off as coincidental energy if you didn't have so many goddamn coincidences. I still think it's a coincidence. I think um, you're still in denial. That's what it sounds like to me. (laughs) I don't have powers. <laughs> I can explain away my power. Well, Lacey, you're the one who was able to curse your husband with nightmares. Yeah, I think I do
0: have powers. All
1: of, all of your spells
0: have worked. That's true.
1: That Every is true. Every single one. And I had that, like, we had that girl's trip where I read tarot for everyone and predicted everything for the year. Are we making a coven? <laughs> I think so. I think we're That's a coven. the next step. Uh, all right, I'm going to keep blowing your mind here. Bostrom states... Moreover, a post-human simulator would have enough computing power to keep track of the detailed belief states in human brains at all times. Therefore, when it saw that a human was about to make an observation of the microscopic world, it could fill in sufficient detail in the simulation on the appropriate domain on an as-needed basis. Should any error occur, the director could easily edit the states of any brains that have become aware of an anomaly before it spoils the simulation. Alternatively, the director could skip back a few seconds and and rerun the simulation in a way that avoids the problem. Interesting. Does that feel like deja vu? So like our understanding of like time and cause and effect and like control and like all of that is impacted if we are not really real.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if like the first time like radium was discovered, it was just like a decay in data. Now they're like, well, I guess now atoms have to decay in their universe for us to create radioactivity. Like, <laughs> ah <laughs> oh shit. What's oh, the worst God. that
1: could happen if we make things radioactive? Oh shit, oh. they have atom bombs. <laughs> it's a lot of bad stuff, actually. Bostrom says, quote: The basic idea of this paper can be expressed roughly as follows: If there were a substantial chance that our civilization will ever get to the post-human stage and run many." animals ancestor simulations, then how come you are not living in such a simulation? We're not too far from the end, but I'm sure we've got a million other (laughs) rabbits to chase. So we're going to go further down the rabbit hole (laughs) of living in a simulation. I'm going to call this section Godlike. So we're going to talk about
0: Black and White again?
1: <laughs> I don't remember what game it was. There was like a um, shooting game. I sound like a mom when I say that. There was um, some there was sort a game of... game with some shooting. It was like, I think it was an FPC game. Uh, FPS, Jesus Christ. There was a game where you had a gun and you were trying to kill people with the gun. And when you did real good, it would say, God-like... Or some other variation of that. <laughs> and it always stuck with me because it was just like, God, what a fucking male fantasy to have a woman being yeah. like, Godlike! <laughs> you know, I was just like grossed out by him. <laughs> um, Godlike. So, going further down this rabbit hole, Bostrom's paper makes the analogy that post humans running the simulation would be like gods to the humans in the simulation. They'd be in control of the environment and creation, and they'd possess superior intelligence. Mm-hmm. Since we can't be sure we're at the bottom foundational level of reality and not in a simulation, we have reason to believe that there might be posthumans watching and waiting to reward us for good behavior or, conversely, punish us for bad behavior. You've got a great look on your face.
0: I do. So i want to talk about my favorite parts episode. Is it Mass Effect? No, it's Roller Coaster
1: Tycoon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Okay, go for it.
0: So in the video game Roller Coaster Tycoon, which some of you may remember, it came out like in late 90s, early 2000s.
1: It was also very like The Sims in a lot of ways. It
0: very much was and I believe that there are modern versions of Roller Coaster Tycoon but the idea is that you would have to create a theme park. and was based on certain metrics like you had to uh, spend under X amount, you need to earn X amount, Like it uh, your customers need to be so happy and it was like all these things that determined whether or not you had a successful theme park. And my favorite metric was that it was based on customer satisfaction. Part of the way could do this is have clean parks have good rides make sure there's good variety but sometimes he would just get a customer who was a real pill and they were just pissed off no matter what my brother and i found a way around this is
1: this the pandas pandas. your idea is so much more charming and (laughs) makes makes you the kind of god i would want to worship because (laughs) after this we're gonna we're gonna get to what i did to solve this problem he is a wrathful god
0: My god would take like a little piece of land in the middle of nowhere and we would go ahead and pave it surrounded by a fence so nobody could get in or out. Here was the best part. I would fill it up with a bunch of theme park mascots and make sure they were all pandas. And then you could, as you are god, go in and grab that angry customer and pick him up like a claw machine and put him wherever the hell you want to. And I'm pretty sure the game designers did this so you could like put them in front of like a ride you wanted to suggest for them. Well, I would pop him right in the middle of panda land. And leave them there for a few minutes. And in just like a few minutes, they would go from like being pissed off to like the happiest person in the park. So whenever someone was really angry or had some pissed off customers, I would just throw in Pandaland, and then my customer
1: satisfaction rating would go through the roof. And then once they were really happy, I would just put them back in the main park. I want to be really clear about this. If any simulators are listening, take me to Pandaland. Whatever Pandaland is in our simulation. I wanna go to there. <laughs>
0: well, I wanna go to Pandaland. I think that these people in this simulation, you're know, like, it's a fill-in-the-blank, so they don't remember going to Pandaland. They don't know how they got to Pandaland, but all they knew is that they were happy after Pandaland. I wanna go to Pandaland. I would very
1: much like that.
0: Just take us to Pandaland! So Sh- what did you do? Shall
1: I share my uh, my solution to the customer satisfaction problem? Go on. So um Robin and I would always play this game together. and uh, she and I also played a lot of the Sims together, so we're a good influence on each other and whenever we had a dissatisfied customer we would find a field that we hadn't developed and create a one by one square that was like super deep and fill it with water and then drop that customer in there and drown them (laughs) (laughs) and then there would be less unhappy people in the park so you're like
0: old testament god you're like all fire and brimstone, and I'm like New Testament. When Jesus is
1: around, he's like, "No, no, 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 love thy neighbor, Jesus Christ." I'm like, "Ee." I'm even worse than like xenophobes because I'm not like, if you don't like it, you can get out. I'm like, if you don't like it, you can die. Yeah. I'm basically yeah. the American government.
0: Jesus.
1: Oh man. All right. So uh, I yeah. Just send people to happy prisons. <laughs>
0: different strokes for different folks. <laughs> I'm just like enjoy the theme park. Go get some cotton candy.
1: So, um, yeah, you know, we all do different things with our power. (laughs) You are an argument for the idea that ultimate power does not corrupt, absolutely, and I am an argument
0: that it does. Let's see, here's the thing, if I ever heard a customer, even though I knew they were just simulations, I always felt bad. Aww. That's why I can never play like a true renegade in Mass Effect because like I would say like a really mean thing or do something and I was like, this isn't helping the galaxy and it just hurt my feelings.
1: The other day I was really hormonal and like raging and Lee was like, why don't you like play something where you get to kill shit? And I was like, yeah make a character and I'm gonna make him bad and I'm gonna do bad things and I just can't fucking do it I just really can't it's so hard to like be a fake person hurting fake people because like also if like you felt I felt the degree of separation from my like theme part people like mm-hmm. they're all I did they would be nameless and I would name them before I would drown them too so I would be like oh, I'm-, <laughs> I'm mad at this guy Kyle hmm this guy's gonna be Kyle and I'm gonna kill him so lazy <laughs> But, like, in, mo- in games like Fallout and stuff like that, like, the people feel more human and you've mm-hmm. got, like, a connection and they're like, hey, I'm hurting for some reason and, like, I don't want to make their hurt bigger. Whereas, like, you know, this person was just a symbol for my rage in Rollercoaster Tiger. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're, um, you know, everyone's different. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to go to Pandaland. <laughs> so the idea of, like, being godlike and ra- waiting on, like, reward and punishment within this simulation. Rich Terrell, a computer scientist at NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab, he is pretty excited about like tying science and religion together like using these ideas uh, he says quote If we're li-, like he says if we're living in a simulation then quote there's a creator, an architect, someone who designed the world and we have to wrestle with that in the context of math and science rather than just faith and so for him like to find out that we're living in a simulation actually lends credence to the idea of us having like a god in and that could also
0: form. be a unifying thing too
1: yeah or you know as we've seen so
0: far <laughs> very not unifying. Well, I mean right now with uh, all religions, all religions are based in faith. I mean, no matter what you get down to, because there are loopholes, there are even loopholes in science, but there are loopholes in every single religion, so it really does come down to faith. Sure. But if you can prove that there's a creator, then it's like, we're not saying that my way of thinking is better than your way of thinking, because I think uh, the, the Hindu gods are Or true. like, the creator is vengeful, or I think the creator exactly. is good, or I
1: think like X about it, but like, maybe we can all agree there's a creator. Yeah. Yeah, I see how that could be unifying. Yeah. Having some kind of proof. Along the lines of marrying science and faith, there remains the possibility that any of us could be the only complete person in a simulation, and that the others around us are simply NPCs, non-playable characters.
0: Well, doesn't that go into like the uh, mind in a jar theory? Uh, I'm not sure I'm familiar with that. I think therefore I am. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I am what I think. I ah, know that I exist, but everything outside of me could be a projection, and I could literally just be a brain in a jar somewhere that's being stimulated and therefore hallucinating or believing I'm seeing all these things. I love
1: that idea, and that perfectly intertwines with simulation theory, I think. Yeah. Um, and very matrixy, by the yeah. way. <laughs> just brains in jars. Uh, Bostrom called these people shadow people, simulated to behave like a person.
0: For me... Like the agents in the Matrix?
1: Just like the agents in the Matrix. But for me... Um, with my master's in psychology, Uh, this is a really psychologically dangerous idea, right? Mm -hmm. Like that I'm the only real person and everybody else is like fake or not real or not a person (laughs) or...
0: (laughs) Well, that's why in open world video games like uh, Grand Theft Auto, you can just go around and like punch someone in the face or shoot like a random stranger because you're like,
1: they're not real. Right. And it's like that separation of like, I know they're not real. And so my actions towards them don't actually have real consequences. Yeah. So I can do whatever I want to whoever I want. Yeah. Well, because like I
0: always put on like pickpocket in games like that. So like if I run into someone, I'll steal their money because my character's the only real player because I'm the user and they're all simulation. Like they don't
1: actually need that money because yeah. they're not real. Because they're not going to do anything with it. They're literally just carrying that money for me to steal them. Steal yeah. from them. <laughs> Which is, as we can see, kind of dangerous. Yeah, we're to, like dangerous live life that way. Just like, oh, well, that guy who cut me off in traffic isn't fucking real, so I'm just gonna shoot him and keep driving. Like, I know we can't prove this in any way, shape, or form
0: to anyone outside of me, but I promise I am a real person. <laughs> Do not fuck
1: with me. That's just what you'd say if you were a simulated person, though, right? No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, that's definitely like, I think dangerous. And for me, uh, you know, to tie it back to religion again, it touches on Calvinism. Mm-hmm. It touches on the idea that, like, each of us are predestined to heaven or hell, and we actually. Act accordingly and that's kind of the track we're set on so
0: yeah. well
1: we, that was part of, like the whole puritan belief because they believed in predestination and the way that you
0: can reflect whether or not you were going to heaven or hell was how good you appeared to others in this life which was why they were that's why the puritans were the way they were they were so buttoned up and you can't do this you can't do that
1: right yeah and yeah. thanks thanks for making a country out of that shit and we appreciate it
0: <laughs> also fuck you all over Cromwell, fuck you everyone in salem
1: yeah thank you back then
0: back then back then people in salem are very nice now
1: yeah sure but like you're absolutely right and it's uh it's this idea of like and for me calvinism always tripped me up because i'm a low self-esteem pessimist and so the idea that like i would naturally assume that i'm one of the saved people and that like god was like yeah no you you're saved so you're gonna be good like that makes no sense to me <laughs> like yes yeah, it self-esteem. makes way more sense that i'm damned <laughs> like, And then like what's the point of free will because isn't that the one thing that we got from the garden of eden pretty much stole from the garden of eden right and like it, it's just an illusion in that case like it's not really but like my thought would be like oh well if I want to do bad shit or whatever I guess I'm bad and I'm just gonna lean into that like it's very it's so demotivating to me it's like there's a nihilistic component to predestination yeah
0: I'm already going to hell might as well earn it right it's gonna earn my keep down here
1: (laughs) Bostrom's paper ends on this brain bashing quote unless we are now living in a simulation our descendants will almost certainly never run an ancestor simulation (laughs)
0: So talking about Star Trek <laughs> Yeah. This is actually how Star Trek Enterprise ends. Oh wow. So um Star Trek Enterprise in my opinion is the worst of all the Star Trek shows. And I will die on that hill if I have to. But at the very end of the show, because you know the concept of it is uh, pre-the original series. It's like when it's all starting out, it's like when the first captains on one of the first ships, it's when before Starfleet even exists. Okay. So uh, at the very end of it, you notice that Riker and Troy are... Characters from Star Trek The Next Generation. You need to explain this, Alex there uh, like during like the ceremony when they finally create like the federation of planets and a lot of people you know start thinking oh well you know time travel what the fuck ever i mean it's it's star trek but then at the very end of the episode they go end simulation and you find out that they were on the holodeck and, for the whole show. And they talk about, it's Troy and Riker talking about it. It's like, well, you know, there's so many records from this time. We don't know exactly how it was, but this is like the closest simulation that we've had to what may have happened.
1: Wow. Yeah. Star Trek ahead of its time always ahead
0: of its time how much stuff in star trek do we see ourselves using
1: day to day we should do like okay another podcast idea had this idea and it wasn't fully baked and now it is combining the prophecies of star trek and the simpsons What's come true? What hasn't come true yet? What are we still waiting to come true, like, based on what we've seen predicted? Okay, so last week I had to
0: be picked up at the Seattle Center by an Uber driver and I went to like the normal pickup zone, but because of all the construction that they're doing on the key arena- I'm sorry, the Environmental Pledge Arena. You couldn't see my jerking off motion, but that's what I just did. (laughs) Um, I had to go to the opposite side. And so he told me what cross streets he was at. So I knew the general direction I was going in, but I didn't know exactly where he was. So what I did is I pulled up my phone because there's GPS on it. And I followed the GPS to where I needed to meet him. So I'm walking through the Seattle Center, looking at my phone, following it to the coordinates I need to get to. I'm like, this is like having a fucking tricorder. This is like every episode of Star Trek where you see them like holding like their little tricorder out and they're like up this hill they're supposed to be the, like the mineral that we need or whatever right.
1: you're right
0: yeah and like i had that thought like I, well, i'm on my way to like meet my uber driver i'm like this is my tricorder this has like a compass and everything in it that's amazing it'll tell me what weather patterns are coming through in my area
1: so ahead of its time right oh my god yeah all right well that's our, our next trying. podcast you guys <laughs> well maybe not the, the very next episode no like yeah, the yeah. next yeah. podcast will launch yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> it'll be just our
1: next full series exactly
0: neo-nostradamus okay.
1: <laughs> oh, Neo-Nostradamus. I just came up
0: with that. I love
1: that. <laughs> Neostradamus. <laughs> <laughs> we'll work on it. We're workshopping it. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, so how might we determine that we're living in a simulation? Bostrom states that we might one day encounter a pop-up message with information stating we're living in a simulation. I mean, it could be that easy. It could just be like, hey, we've decided to let you guys all know. <laughs> Um, PT dubs, and simulation. Right? He's like, if we are in a simulation, the best way to learn about it is by trying to study it like we already do, trying to understand the world around us. The main problem scientifically, and that keeps this from being a fully scientifically explorable theory, is that it's not really falsifiable at this point, meaning we can't disprove it. Mm -hmm. We can't prove that it's not true. So we can't be fully sure that it is true based on that. To quote David Chalmers, professor of philosophy at NYU... You're not going to get proof that we're not in a simulation because any evidence that we get could be simulated. Yeah. (laughs) So there's a bit of a circular reasoning there to where we like can't really prove it at this point. Yeah. And then what would it mean for humanity if we were able to determine that we're in fact living in a simulation? A lot of scientists have expressed concern that this might lead to a general feeling that there's no accountability because nothing is real. And so people might turn destructive based Mm -hmm. on that. And we were talking about that on a like one person scale, like thinking I'm the only real person. But if everyone was like, none of us are real, that could be destructive on a really grand scale Mm -hmm. Um, and at the very least like a lack of desire to plan for the future
0: well even if I am a true AI consciousness existing in a simulation. It still takes me back to, I think, therefore I am. So just because our universe was created intentionally for whatever simulated purpose, that doesn't make me less real. I do still exist. And if I exist because I was constructed for the simulation, therefore you exist because all it really is is to tell me it's like this is the same universe that you've known just with slightly different parameters than you thought
1: yeah I like that and like I think there would be something really exciting to finding that out but I also think like our lizard brains are stronger than we want to give them credit for and like Mm -hmm. things not being as they seem is real like bad lizard brain feeling
0: yeah (laughs) Well, I mean also I mean energy is neither created nor destroyed that's like the one thing that we do know which is conservation of energy and mass yeah um, which is (laughs) computers or how our brains create shortcuts, all those things. It's all a self-contained energy that's just changing shape and form. So the same thing's going to happen when I die. Mm -hmm. My energy is still just going to go out and join the rest of the energy and then come to like a new form. So, technically, we never cease to exist. We just go on in a different way, and it may just be in a different way than we thought we were going to go on.
1: Yeah, and we don't actually know what happens when people die, where their consciousness goes, if it's just gone forever, if the chemicals just all totally stop, and that bit of energy that was running through us is gone. I
0: like to think that if... Because we've found that things exist on multiple levels Mm -hmm. of existence, that there are different higher and shorter forms of energy. I like to think that if there's one form of consciousness out there being our human sentience, Consciousness, there has to be more than one form of consciousness. And a part of me likes to think of the idea that there's a chance that we're part of the same collective of consciousness, just trapped in one vessel. I like to think that we just rejoin that consciousness when we die.
1: I like that too. I think there's a lot to be said for that. It um, hits on bits of The Golden Compass for me, The Dark Materials, which is like one of my favorite book series. Rizwan Verk states that how we would be affected by the knowledge that we're living in a simulation comes down to finding out whether we're playable characters or not playable characters because if we're playable characters he thinks many of us would want to know that we're in a simulation so we could better understand like what are the rules what are the parameters what are my limits like what are my goals you know like I think a lot of us have had some version of the thought like like how do I do this life thing like if there was some kind of like guidebook or what do I do next like I've hit this stage so like how do I figure the rest out and so I think like a lot of us if we found out we were playable characters we'd be pretty curious Mm -hmm. but if we find out we're non-playable characters meaning like we don't actually have decisions, meaning we're simply programmed, then a lot of us, like, you know, might go crazy and feel trapped and yeah. feel like going back to that predestination thing, I can see that backfiring for a lot of people psychologically.
0: So, I like this idea of playable, non-playable characters. Um, it makes me, like, wonder if, like, what if sociopaths, or what we know
1: sociopaths are just playable characters. I, I thought about that because I was, like, the psychological Dangerous that is like nobody else is real and that's like sociopathic thinking yeah. is like well I am the only real person and like everybody else is living by a separate set of rules and so it, there's something very matrixy about that idea which is like well they've got their own they don't understand the actual game though like they're not mm-hmm. playing the same game I'm playing they're just a part of the game
0: yeah well because like I think about like, every time I play a video game because most video games have their own economy and once you figure it out usually you end the game with like way more money. Than You possibly need. Like, you're pretty much like wealthy in that game's terms. So, if I were a playable character that knew they were a playable character and thought everyone around them was not real and I knew how to take advantage of those markets, was there a study that said like most CEOs and most wealthy people have uh, sociopathic Mm -hmm. personality traits?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I I saw this great thing about like how our country actually like breeds so like our our direct investment and total individualism is actually like a breeding ground for sociopathy and th- and if those are the traits that we reward which we've like shown that those are then it's like oh well, that seems pretty apt
0: yeah <laughs> there was a really interesting article on cnn near the start of the pandemic that said uh is america just too rebellious to beat the coronavirus because we all like pride ourselves on like it's always like the rebel or like the outsider or the individual who rises above because they don't think like everybody else
1: it's like or. such a bad look in a global pandemic
0: yeah and it's like there are all these people that are, like well everybody else can wear masks, but I don't need to because I'm not that weak and blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's not about that. It's, it's not for you. About it's to protect other people. Exactly. It's about community thought. Because I mean, as you know, as everybody knows now, I had COVID. So when I no longer had COVID, I had antibodies, I had immunity, I couldn't spread it, I couldn't get it. Beautiful. But I still wore a mask. Right. And the reason I wore the mask is because nobody in public knew that I had immunity, that I couldn't spread it. It's like for at least their peace of mind. Right. I want to wear a mask. And on top of that, we don't know how long immunity lasts, if it's a real thing. We don't know if there are other strains that can that can affect mm-hmm. me. We, we just don't know. Yeah. So I was like, why should I take the risk of not wearing a mask? But at the same time, I don't want people to be afraid of getting close to me because I'm not wearing a mask.
1: But that means you value the social contract over your own personal expression of freedom, and that might make you not the majority. <laughs> just <That> rough. Is <laughs> sad um so a couple other potentially compatible theories with simulation theory one is the idea that we're living in a projection I don't think these are incompatible theories I just did not want to do all of the research on also projection theory so I'm just throwing that out there that is a possibility and also the idea that the world really ended in 2012 maybe the world really did end in 2012 maybe like all of the data has been re-uploaded and this this is like the best they could do and what they think like was gonna happen after this like maybe we've just been rebooted and like we're on a just fully Different timeline. What if
0: we all died in 2012 and they were just like, let's just upload humanity? Hopefully they
1: won't notice. I feel like I've been a shambling corpse for about eight years, so yeah, that's
0: that tracks. That tracks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then one opponent of simulation theory is Harvard theoretical physicist Lisa Randall, who states, quote, and I love this, quote, the argument says you'd have lots of things that want to simulate us. I actually have a problem with that. We mostly are interested in ourselves. I don't know why this higher species would want to simulate. I actually am very interested in why so many people think it's an interesting question.
0: End quote. (laughs) I I do think it would be future humans simulating us because we want to understand
1: ourselves. But like that begs the question, where is the line drawn between human and Mm post-human and what defines human versus post-human and would the access to this capacity for technology alter us in such a way that we have no interest or utility for this?
0: Okay. I mean, so that's actually a good point because I'm thinking like uh, going back through like human history, yeah, we've made technological advancements, but you'd have to go so far back that it'd be like, we are like post-Neanderthal
1: post Magnum. Right, and like, how interested are we actually in those? Like, I think... have we st- How many Neanderthal simulations do we have?
0: Yeah, I mean, like, I think we're kind of, like, at the point, and I can't speak from an anthropological point of view, because that would obviously be, like, their territory. I don't know, like, how much interest there has been in, like, how many of them use tools, how many... I mean, uh, there's always, like, more data to find, but sure. I don't know if it's as in-depth as, we want to know exactly what people were thinking in the Bronze Age.
1: Yeah, so I'm curious about about like the applicab- applicability of that to yeah. post humans. Another opponent of simulation theory is physicist David Tong. Tong states that our understanding of the universe is that on its most basic level, it's not actually made of discrete particles so much as it is made of fluid. And he notes that any attempts for us to represent this aspect of nature or reality in a computer program have been super unsuccessful because we do not know how to program wave-like, fluid-like reality. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, light acts both as a particle and as a wave. Yeah.
1: And I think like us wrapping our minds around that, like we're still not there. (laughs) So those are a couple of opponents of simulation theory, but I'm going to get back to our main guy, Rizwan Virk, and then also our guy, Nick Bostrom, and we're going to end on them. Virk states that our understanding of physics has evolved from the Newtonian model, that everything is reducible to particles, Mm -hmm. to an understanding of quantum physics being that everything is a field of possibilities, more so than discrete actual objects. Mm -hmm. He says the next evolution of our understanding of physics is integrating our understanding that at the core level, everything is based on information, bits of information. He says, quote, If the world isn't really physical, if it's based on information, then a simpler explanation might in fact be that we are in a simulation, that it is generated based on computer science and information. Because if our basic love of reality is information, then that's actually kind of evidence that we're in a computer.
0: Yeah. I mean, energy is neither created nor destroyed, and on a computer, data is neither created nor destroyed. It's just rewritten, and it changes form. There you go. There's... Have you watched uh, the movie Radioactive on... So it's on Amazon Prime right now, and it's about Marie Curie. Hmm. (laughs) Marie Curie. It's okay. okay. There are parts of it that are really good, there are parts that I really like, and... I think I would have just done it differently, but there's a beautiful part where her and her husband pierre after discovering radium are bringing their discovery to a scientific board and she says i am here gentlemen to tell you that you have fundamentally misunderstood the atom
1: Ooh. oh god mind-blowing oh, i love it stick it to them.
0: <laughs> also i think she's the only person still to hold two nobel prizes in two different forms of science being physics and chemistry that's pretty badass we we bow down to you
1: Curie. Yes, yes, we do. Yes, we motherfucking do. Uh, Two quotes I want to end on. Rizwan Virk. There are lots of mysteries in physics that are better explained by the simulation hypothesis than by what would be a material hypothesis. The truth is that there's much we simply don't understand about our reality, and I think it's more likely than not that we're in some kind of simulated universe. And then, uh, when pressed, Nick Bostrom quotes Hamlet. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. And that's it! Yay! <sighs> <sighs> take two, complete. Yeah, take that. Season two off the ground. Whoop. All right, let's make sure it actually recorded.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoy
1: whatever our new intro, outro. Do you know what our next episode's gonna be? <laughs> oh, so we could like tease it? Yeah. Because it's, I just did this one, so you would be up next. What
0: if one day a young small-town inventor suddenly disappeared in an explosion of dynamite and you found out he was trying to create his own UFO? And what if I told you that when the scientific community looked at it, it was scientifically sound?
1: Oh, <laughs> I'd be very interested in that story.
0: Well, join us next time on Crackpot Cocktail Hour because we're going to try to go to the stars.
1: <laughs> I'm excited. Season two is off to a good start. Yo <laughs> Season two. Well, thanks for listening. As always, cheers. Cheers. Do this all day. All day. <laughs> all day. Do all day. <laughs> As always, thank you for listening, and if you like what you heard today, please leave us a positive review and a five-star rating, and tell your friends. All of that helps people know who we are so that we can bring you more of what you love.
0: If you'd like more information on a specific episode, visit our website,
1: crackpotcocktailhour.com, and click on the episode's link. If you'd like to know when new episodes are coming out and see the cocktail recipes in advance, subscribe to us in your podcast app and follow us on social media. We are Crackpot Cocktail Hour on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest, and we're at Crackpot Hour on Twitter.
0: If you've got feedback for an episode or would like to suggest an episode topic, feel free to email us. We're CrackpotCocktailHour at gmail.com. Until next time, Crackpots! Crack Crack it like it's hot. hot!